Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I am so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired Movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests joining me here to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. Yes, you will absolutely hear profound and unforgettably inspiring stories, but more importantly, you will take away real ideas to apply in your own life. My friends, the goal here is to have guests on this show that will inspire you, yes, you, to wake up from accidental living so that you can do, be, achieve, and impact even more through your life. Maybe more simply said, so that you can live inspired. What I can say about this episode is this. You ready? You are going to love it. You're going to love our guest energy. You're going to love our guest's story. You're going to love our guest's heart. And you're going to love what our guests will share with you to provide specific, tangible takeaways to apply in your work, in your relationships, and in your life. My guest today is a podcast host, a best-selling author, a business owner, and a guy who's got his values and his focus and his life completely on track and focused on what actually matters. His name is Dale Partridge. Whether you've heard of Dale before or not, after you spend a little bit of time with me and him today, you will never forget Dale. You're going to love this show. Rather than even doing any more opening around Dale Partridge, I'm just going to bring him in because I'm so excited to introduce Dale Partridge to our community, this community of men and women, boys and girls who are choosing to live inspired. So are you ready? Okay, buckle up, get the pens and paper out, get the laptops open. You're going to love this episode with Dale Partridge. Please welcome my friend, our guest, Dale Partridge. Hey, excited to be here, my friend. Well, man, we're delighted to have you on. I understand that out your window, you're looking at at creation, and not only is it creation, it's a lot of white creation today. Tell the friends who may not know where you live or maybe even not know what you do yet professionally a little bit more about you, your story today, where you live, and what you're seeing out the window. Yeah, so we got a full-blown, they're calling it on the internet, a polar vortex, right? So we're, uh, we got... Uh, between 15 and 20 inches of snow falling on top of about six inches that we already had, which is pretty uncommon for where we live. We live in Bend, Oregon, which is the beer capital of the world. Right. And, uh, and so I, uh, the, you know, the only thing I feel bad about is my, uh, I have a miniature donkey who we, he has a, a little shelter and, you know, these animals are made for this kind of weather. I looked online last night. I was like, you know, how much snow and cold can yeah. a donkey handle? And they're like, well, if it gets below negative 50, then you could bring them in. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're still in the twenties over here. So, um, but, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we live in Bend, Oregon. I'm, I'm, I'm married to, uh, my beautiful wife, Veronica for, uh, going on, um, uh, seven years here mm-hmm. and, uh, been together for a little over eight. And we, uh, we have two little kids, um, a three-year-old and a, uh, almost one-year-old and we're pregnant with another oh, one. Oh man, that's and, awesome. Um, 
most people think we're crazy, but we want a big family. And, um, you know, we really just love children and just have a heart for kids. And so we're, we're the people that are hoping for, you know, eight, 10 kids and have a giant family that lives on a farm. And, and uh, just to confuse everybody that we walk around, we just love to we love to say that to people. And um, <laughs> But it's fun. Yeah, we, well, we're enjoying the life right now. Life is really good. It makes people generally, when you say we want a large family, eight or ten, it makes them run quickly in the opposite direction, which uh, you, you find out quickly who your friends are and who they aren't at moments yeah. like that. When you aren't uh, raising kids or sheltering donkeys or shoveling Snowdale, what do you do professionally? Yeah, so I am I, I'm a writer for uh, for uh, of books and on the internet. I, I really create content for the internet. It's a very weird thing um, to be in the position that I am, and um, a lot of people call me an online influencer. Now, for the way that I pay the bills, I have a 12 month course or curriculum called StartupCamp.com, and it's literally everything step by step, go as you or go at your own pace curriculum on how to start your own business. And how to create the life you want. And we have about, uh, we've had a, about three or four thousand people go through the program over the last two and a half years. Um, and uh, it's either ninety nine dollars a month or it's a nine forty nine up front. And it's been a great program. We have we call it we call them campers mm-hmm. when they get enrolled. And um, it, it's not just about how to create a successful business, but it's really how to create a successful life. And one of the main quotes that we have that kind of roll through our community is never get too busy making a living. Hmm. that you forget to make a life. And um, so just a great community and uh, a great business. I'm author of uh, Wall Street Journal bestselling book, People Over Profit. Um, have another book uh, called Launch Your Dream, 30-Day Guide to Turning Your Passion into a Profession coming out here in June. Um, but again, my, my heart and soul of what I really do every day is I just write. And, you know, I never knew that I was going to be a writer. Like, I had no idea. As a kid, I, I hate, I mean, to be honest, John, at this point right now, I really still don't even like writing that much. Um, but there's some. <laughs> That's painful, sense, man. Right? The white page staring at you and you got to figure out a way to fill it up. Yeah. So it, it's this thing where I, I, I have learned, and um, this is, I feel like the reality of what happens for gifting, is that I've learned that I do have a gift for putting words to people's emotions or amplifying the emotions that are already existing in people's hearts and minds. And that's what makes a good writer or a good book when you go, oh my gosh, I've been feeling yes. like this for a year, and you put words to how I feel. And, um, and, and that's a, a gifting that I feel like I've, I've walked into or stumbled upon. Um, but writing is still hard. And um, and I, I don't get the luxury of saying, oh, if I feel inspired, then I'm going to write. Uh, I really do write every single day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there are, uh, there are moments of love affair where I'm like, oh, I love how that came out, but, but it's still hard. And, um, and that's just the reality of it. When we are, uh, at the end of the day, the, the result of all the experiences from our past. And, and that's where I want to kind of begin your story, Dale. It's been said that everybody has a story. It's just not the story we're telling the world. That's frequently true, but you, you've been bold enough in various venues to share your heart, share your story, share your mistakes and lessons and what it means for the rest of us. So my, my hope on this episode today is that you'll back the truck way up to where you grew, grew up and uh, some of the lessons you learned along the way that brought you all the way out to Oregon and this snowstorm and that donkey Diego hanging out in it. So, <laughs> man, where'd you grow up? Yeah, so, okay, I grew up in Southern California, uh, far away from snow, um, a seasonless society where I had just, like, you know, summer all year round. Um, 
And, and now I hate that because I just grew up around that. Um, I've seen the beach too many times. I can go the rest of my life without seeing it again. Um, and uh, I grew up to a blue-collar worker and a stay-at-home mom. And uh, my dad was uh, kind of a, a mark of consistency in my life and really showed me what it meant to, um, to, to wake up early and go to work. And uh, he put family first in a really healthy way. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to see that as a child was really important, and, I, and especially now seeing that as a dad. Like you, most of the stuff we don't realize growing up in, until we become fathers or mothers ourselves and realize like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe my mom was up like 400 right. nights in the middle of the night with me, you know. Yeah. And um, so there's a, there's a lot of respect uh, back to that. Um, yeah, mother was a stay-at-home mom. And, uh, you know, I actually just uh, got a chance to speak at my mother's funeral um, about uh, – three or four weeks ago. Oh, and uh, so that was, that was a difficult time, but I, I got a chance to reminisce and, and remember her. And I realized that she was never angry. Um, <laughs> she was never, um, she was always joyful. And I, I just, I almost like didn't realize that until after she'd passed away. And um, so I, I, I had that moment and, and realized like how much that poured into me as a child thought I was going to be a professional baseball player, like from the point when I was like seven years old, um, you, you would have asked me and I would have been like, I'm a professional baseball player. Like that's going to happen. And I believed it. And I was actually good enough, um, as I got older to, to walk into that reality. And, uh, I was a left-handed pitcher, um, throwing in the mid eighties in high school. Um, and, uh, I, I had scouts looking at me and schools looking at me and, and in a, uh, uh, a travel, uh, a travel ball league, which is kind of we had. A, we were playing in a wooden bat league, which is kind of like right. you know, if you're you're really cool if you're playing in a wooden bat league at you know 17 years old, right? In prime time. Um, prime time was pitching and just uh, radar guns up every pitch I was throwing, and just threw my heart out and boom, my arm just explodes. The bone on the inside of your elbow was like down in my tricep, <laughs> and it just changed everything for me because my whole identity had been wrapped up in I'm going to be a professional baseball player. You know, retrospectively, I look at like, this is a gift from God. Right. Um, but, uh, but when you're 17, I'm sure you weren't quite seeing it in the same context. Yeah. Right. But I have friends that play professional baseball now and their lives are difficult. I mean, yeah, sure. They make money. Um, uh, but their lives are difficult because you're gone. Baseball, he plays more games than any other sport. Um, so you're just playing so many games on the road all the time. Um, I ended up starting a fitness company. Yep. Oh, go ahead, John. You know, I, I was at a conference recently, and it was put on by coaches for coaches. And the point one of the coaches was making to these little league coaches, these are guys coaching fourth through seventh graders, I believe. So uh, nine-year-old boys and girls until maybe they're 13 or so. And the coach's point was, let's not burn these kids out. And so one of the guys raised his hand and said, so how many games should we play them? And the man speaking said, let's keep it under 75 a year. And as an outsider looking in, I'm thinking, my gosh, this is crazy talk. 75 games for little kids. And yet they think that's the threshold that will allow these little ones not to burn themselves out. So this is what you're growing up in with the wooden bat. I can't imagine the pressure you're under, but also what it's like to fall out of fall out of uh, the ability to live into this, Dale. Oh, it, it was a wild um it was traumatic for sure. In terms of, you know, looking back, you realize like how much lost needed to be mourned. Um, and you know, what, what you do at 17 and 18 years old is you go to move on.org and you just kind of move on, <laughs> you know? And so it, it's just all of a sudden, like you have this pain in your life and you just like 
like push it down and it's going to screw you up, you know, eight years later when you're, when you're married and you're trying to figure something else out, you know? So it's, um, it was definitely one of those experiences. I, I went from there to uh, becoming an entrepreneur. I had no idea that I was going to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I always uh, thought I was going to work for someone else. Again, just n- not the quintessential like, oh, like I, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur at the age of five. Like, right. no, that, that had nothing like that happened. Um, but I had the characteristics written all over my face and everything I did. Um, I started a fitness company, uh, sold that really quick, started a rock climbing gym. Uh, uh, got fired from my own company. Uh, that was an experience to, to realize that I, you know, just a slap in the face and a, and a, and a face to the mirror that says, you are not a good leader. Tell, and that was a real painful moment. Tell me about that. Me. Uh, How do you get fired from the, the company you began? Yeah, you know, you have partners. And, uh, you know, when you don't have a, a full controlling share, um, you know, you get to walk in as I was CEO, but I was just a horrible leader. I was like 22 years old with like 20 employees. And <clears throat> as much as the vision and, and, uh, charisma as I had, um, I was horrible. And so, um, it, it took again, years later to, to really walk into the truth of that. Um, but found myself uh, on the outside looking in, uh, no money in my bank account. Um, <clears throat> I just invested all my money into this business and I, uh, I had to freelance as a graphic designer for a while. And then, then I uh, started a conference company that was kind of mediocre. And then, and then in 2011, I started a company called Sevenly that was, uh, kind of my big hit. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, I started this business where every week we'd partner with a new charity and we would give $7 for every product we sold to that week's charity. And, and so, uh, over the three years that I was there, we raised about $4 million in $7 donations, grew the company to about 50 employees and about $7 million in annual revenue. Um, <clears throat> it was the first time in my life, John, that I realized that a company can grow faster than people can. Right. And it was a really hard thing to to realize that, man, this thing can grow way faster than the books that I can read, than the courses I can take, than the mentors that can give me advice. And, and growth is one of those things that you just can't speed up past the maximum. And um, it was really hard for me. And I actually, um, we had some tumultuous times with investors and such, and, and I was actually asked to step down. And that was a real hard thing for me. Um, but again, retrospectively, I, 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 this was the best thing that could have ever happened for me. Mm-hmm. So when things, when bad things happen now, John, I, I, I really don't question. I, I just go, Lord, what do you want to teach me through this moment? Um, and I, I'm less like holding on tight to something. Um, I'm, I'm more open-handed because of these moments. But um, I remember walking into an El Torito and. Um, there was two guys from my board there and I had no idea what was going to happen. And they, they literally just told me that I got to go. And I remember like walking out of that El Torito crying and, um, at, you know, 27 years old, right. Crying and not knowing what I was going to do. And, and, um, my wife and I had been dreaming about a simpler life. We had been, um, falling apart. This company, on the outside, the whole world, John, was cheering us on. Oh, man, I saw you on TV. Right. Dude, I saw you on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine. Oh, man, like you're on, on Fortune. Like, you know, you guys are crushing it. Like, all, all the, everybody's cheering you on. But on the inside, 
I am, uh, I'm, I'm having panic attacks. My wife's having panic attacks. I remember sitting on the couch, literally uh, with my wife, and trying to uh, encourage her on why she should live um, while I was fighting off a panic attack. And, um, and I don't think she was ever really suicidal, but she was just, she was just like down, down yes. depressed, you know, and, and just giving her like, really, I was just encouraging her. And I thought, and at the same time, I'm fighting off this like anxiety that's just really hard. Right. And <clears throat> we weren't getting sleep and, and she was pregnant. And I thought, like, what is this? Like our life sucks, you know? And, and everybody on the outside looks like, oh, man, you guys are so successful. We want to be like you. No, our life was horrible. Um, we, were, we were living, in, Orange, or, uh, we were living um, in Orange County at the time, and, and uh, we just said, we got to leave. And we got to get out of the city. And so we, uh, we sold our house, and, and uh, we, went to, um, we went to Bend, Oregon, and bought a farm. And, and I'm, we are, I'm curious, Dale, did you, did you know where you were going? Did you know why you were going up there? And did you, did you know what you wanted to do next? You know, I didn't. I had no clarity at the time. I just knew that I needed to get out of there. We had a little bit of money that we could just kind of sit on. We bought a piece of land um, and we built a house. And uh, we knew we wanted quiet. We knew we needed to be healed. Um, our marriage was, was struggling. Um, you know, I actually think about this. My wife with our first baby, she had, uh, she had a 60 hour labor and, um, which is a few days for those of you guys. (laughs) Hey Dale, one thing about the live inspired podcast, we don't do math on this. So you'll have to kind of, you'll have to pull out your calculator and explain how many days 60 is for the rest of us. Well, okay. So baby two comes around and we were concerned that we were going to have another long labor, but, um, Baby two came around and we had the baby within six hours. And um, I, I had a friend come up to me and, and I feel like he just spoke a moment of truth. And he says, Dale, and he knew me for, for the past several years. And he goes, Dale, I think that, that when you were having Aria, your first child, that your marriage was so broken and your wife was so insecure that that's the reason you, um, your, her labor was so long. She didn't feel safe. She was worried. She had no idea what was going to happen. There was so much stress. And, and over the last two years, I had just, you know, actually two and a half years from, from when we were having this other baby, our, our second child, Honor, um, we've changed our marriage. And, and my wife was comfortable and cherished. And, um, and it changed the delivery. And, right. and I'd like to believe that's what it is. And, um, and so it was, it was things like that that you start seeing the fruit of healing in our life. So as you begin and, to heal and, your, your marriage and now your parenting, you begin also this journey of a, of a new business platform, this new idea of, of touching people's lives. Tell, tell me about that, Dale. Yeah, so we, we started this business called Startup Camp, and, and it's so funny because um, I write on business stuff, and people love it, and I have a, a pretty big platform on, on my business stuff. But at the same time as I was writing these these, these business lessons, these leadership lessons, um, talk, talking about success, I would mention things about my family, and I would write little lessons about my family and, and lessons about my marriage and, and lessons about how I, how I act and behave in the home and, mm-hmm. and lessons about um, uh, how to be a good friend. And, and, and those became the most popular thing that I wrote. Yes. 
Um, and, and, and again, it was just one of these ironic moments where you're like, okay, that's not what I planned to do. <laughs> and um, so I would get, you know, I'd get 500 likes on an article that I wrote about, um, you know, what it takes to, to, to be a, an incredible freelancer. But then I would get 500,000 likes on something about how to cherish your wife. And the irony in terms of an entrepreneur and a business author that is also a parenting, marriage, and family writer mm-hmm. is, I think, what makes this so unique and special. And so that's what I do. I, I sit in this very weird space where I, I teach people how to start businesses but not become the most successful person that nobody likes. Right. And, and that was me. I was, I was the wealthiest guy in the graveyard. I was the successful person that nobody wanted to be around. I had, you know, uh, I was, you know, I didn't believe that who I came home to was more important than what I came home to. And, um, you know, tell me what that means to you. Who I came home to is even more important than what I came home to. You know, it was priorities. And I think as, as entrepreneurs, we can just, you know, our priorities are made from our calendars from the way we spend our money. And, um, you know, for me, uh, my calendar was clear that my wife and children were not a priority. And um, uh, my, my money and the investment and the time I thought about that, um, my heart was there. You know, I always say that you can tell a lot about a person and their heart on where they spend their time and money. And my heart was upside down. And, and, and um, it's been the last few years we've, We've really, um, I've personally gone through a, a painful growing experience um, with just insane accountability and submitted myself to some authority figures in my life, including God, that have really brought me back to what is normal. And, and I like to tell people this, John, is that my life, I want to remind people what is normal <laughs> because it's common. It's common for you to work 60 hours a week and have a, a mediocre marriage. It's common for your children to not have a great relationship with you. It's common to get a divorce because of those things. It's common to flirt with other girls at the office. It's not normal. Okay, what's normal is that you have a thriving marriage, that you have a thriving relationship with your children, that you have a really healthy business that people respect you, that you have integrity, that you act uh, with honor. And, And those are the things I'm trying to embody and learn and submit myself to, and watching the fruit, and I can share them on the internet and go, look, this is what's normal. And I feel, John, that I'm, I'm confident enough at this point to at least say, follow my example. Mm-hmm. Because I think years ago, I wasn't confident enough to say that. I'm not perfect. You know, I still fall and, and fail and have those different things. But, but we need more men and women that can say that, because they actually can live, they're living out with fruit, you know, things are put together. And so that's been my journey. Um, Dale, do you feel challenged between feeling confident and arrogance? So when you make a statement like this, when you say, follow my example, uh, with the wrong kind of mindset or heart, it is an extraordinarily arrogant statement. And yet with the right kind of mindset and heart, it's uh, it's so liberating and inspiring to be around. Is that something you, you struggle with? You know, I, I, I don't because I know my heart. I, I am very humble in many areas of the journey with others. Now, for example, Paul in the, in, uh, 
the book of Corinthians tells them to follow my example. Um, and and the, the idea there is that he's saying, hey, I'm not perfect. I fall and fail, but, but I'm actually trying hard, and I'm working at every point of my body to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thing is, we have leaders that aren't willing to lead, um, or they're, they're too afraid to, to be. I mean, every leader has to be able to look in the mirror and be able to say that. Um, because you, that's what you do as a leader is it like, follow my example. I mean, that's what you're doing with your children. That's what you're doing with your employees. And so if you can't say that because of whatever darkness or weird addiction that you might have below or, uh, or shadows that you have in relationships, um, there's a problem there. And so, um, there, there, there might be a day and there has been a day where I couldn't say that. Um, but right now I feel confident enough to go, Hey, look, I'm not perfect, but follow what I am trying to do. And, um, and that's been a big change in my heart. And, um, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of years being afraid to say those words. And, um, and I think a lot of people, um, and it was, it was timing. I wasn't ready to say those words, but if I had not said them now, I feel like a lot of people would, would be missing out on some of the things that I'm learning and teaching. And, uh, and I'm already seeing it now, John. It's really interesting. I've seen literally, I, I have millions of people that are talking about these posts that I write. Yeah. And, and they're, they're saying, oh my gosh, Dale, thank you. I follow your post every day. It's changed my marriage. Or, oh my gosh, I, I, thanks for the things that you write. I literally look them up every day. And I just want to say, it really has made me fall in love with kids again. And, and, Dale, and those wh- things that go, oh, you know, it's amazing. For those who aren't yet following you, where can they, they learn more? So I write these posts called Daily Wisdom, and it's spelled D-A-L-E-Y. Kind of clever. It's not that clever, actually. but um, And uh, <laughs> I put them out on Instagram every day, and they sh- get shared to Facebook. So, so Instagram and Facebook's are kind of, uh, Facebook is kind of my jam. Yep. Um, and uh, I, I, do them, I do them probably four to six days a week. Mm-hmm. And um, there's nothing easy about writing writing that no. much uh, per week. But, um, but yeah, they go out that way, and that's the, best, that's the best place to find me. I also write full-blown blogs uh, where I write lessons and articles from, from business to leadership to success at startupcamp.com. Dale, as you know, you and I are both presenters and writers and, and uh, podcast hosts. Frequently, though, when I get invited into other organizations, one of the questions is, what topics do you not want John to share? And the answers come back, don't talk about politics, don't talk about faith, don't talk about relationships, don't talk about love, don't talk about all this stuff that happens outside of work. What draws me towards you and your writing and your posts and your work is that you realize the two are actually one, that you can't talk about work without also talking about love. And you can't talk about home life without talking about work. And these things should not be divided, that we should actually build a bridge that connects them and unifies them as one. Where did you realize the importance of that in your own life? There's a lot of leaders, John, that that they sit in the middle and they want to convince you that they are on the edge. The middle is costless leadership. It's where everybody agrees and there is no pain and there is no resistance. And that's why men and women who say, oh, let's not talk about those things, they don't want to pay the price of leading. And so when you get on the edge and you say, hey, you know what? I'm actually going to choose a side. You used to be able to sit in the middle, John, and, uh, in the middle and, and literally put a hand out to the left and a hand out to the right. And you could lean left when you wanted to lean left and lean right when you wanted to lean right. But the distance, the gap that's happening between left and right, I'm not saying politics right. necessarily. 
is um, <clears throat> is becoming too hard to, gra- to 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 span in the middle. And so these people in the middle, I see them and I go, you are not a leader because you only want to talk about one thing that has no cost involved. And, and for me, I, I will choose a side and stand there strong and tell people to come follow me here because I'm confident in the direction that I'm going. And so I, those are the things that I, I look at, John, and I, 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 I can see in other people. It's fear. They're leading by fear where, where great leaders lead in boldness. And they're okay with paying a price um, for their position on, on, on a matter. And, um, and, yeah, some of the things that I write aren't, aren't loved by everybody, um, but they're loved by the people that follow me. <laughs> and, um, and that's the difference is that, you know, I, I, you've you got to be willing um, to have enemies. I mean, I, there's so many leaders that have had quotes that, you know, that say, you know, uh, I think Winston Churchill said, somebody hates you, good. That means you stood up for something right. sometime in your life, you know. And uh, that's just a part of leadership. I, my goal used to be, in some regards, as a kid, and even even in some recent days, in general, to be liked by everyone. As a speaker, yeah. as a writer, as a husband, be liked by everybody. And now I think our calling is to be deeply and profoundly loved by some, and um, to cause division and some uncertainty and anger even in some others that may not totally agree with our opinions. It, it means we're no longer in the middle, as you're calling it. So I, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, you know, what? one thing I always say, John, is that, you know, you said the word division. And I think a lot of people, uh, we look at division as a bad thing. And I always say this, dividing for the sake of dividing is a bad thing. Now, I always look at it like this, bringing people back to the truth is never division, mm. right? And so as a good leader will say, I'm not causing division. I'm bringing them to the truth. It may divide them, but that's not me. That's them. And, uh, and that's the difference of, of things on how you have to look at it, um, because it is, we, we come at a time where leadership, and, and people are looking, John, they're all, they're all over the place. They're going, they're going, oh my gosh, these times are crazy, um, you know, or everything looks so weird. Should I really adopt these principles for my home? Right. Um, Dale, what do you think? John, what do you think? And they're looking for voices. And so if, I, I always go, man, I would rather them turn to me then turn to the Kardashians, right? Um, I would rather them turn to me. And that's what keeps me going is that I go, I want to make sure that I have a voice in this marketplace because they're going to turn to somebody else if they don't turn to me. And, um, and, and I know that, you know, I have a confidence in, in my Christian faith and I, I try to really make sure that I, I push that out there in terms of, of, of the word of truth in that way. And it's the same thing, John, with people that are afraid to make money. I go, Hey, you know what? Like, People are like, oh, you know, you don't want to get too wealthy, you get lost in it. And I go, hey, you know, if, you, if you're a strong enough leader, you know your values and your morals, and you have a, a moral compass, I go, man, I will take $10 million because it's better for me to have that money than it is the guy that starts the porn company that, that you know, invites little girls from different countries to come in, uh, on in their business, right? Like, right. I will take that money and do good with it. And so we have to look at ourselves as leaders and saying, like, I'm a better steward of influence or money or whatever it might be than those evil things that exist in the world. And um, that sometimes helps people kind of gain the confidence of saying, all right, I'll step up. I'll start writing. I'll start talking. I'll start leading. Because it is, there is a culture war. Dale, what do you say to the folks listening right now who uh, do not self-describe and identify as a leader? 
they think leadership is the people in the C-suite or presidential suite or wherever else it might be. But as a mother, father, son, daughter, whatever our job titles are, we may not identify as a leader. So we're all leaders at some level, but the degree of leadership is kind of what I think you're talking about. Because, you know, if you're a mom, you're a leader, right? Um, You know, if you're a husband, you're a leader. Um, And if you're a manager, you're a leader. But there is moments where our, our, our stewardship of size of leadership is very small. And I, I was there. Um, and, you know, there's that, that statement that says, hey, if, if you're faithful over little, you'll be faithful over much. And there is a journey that, that goes along with leadership. <clears throat> um, for me, I, I think that uh, it's okay to not be this massive leader. Um, it's okay to be a follower. Hmm. Um, I submit myself to so many different leaders that have permission and authority to speak into my life um, and to embarrass me because embarrassment is an incredible teacher and to, to give me pain and to give me encouragement and to give me love. And, um, and so I think that it's okay to be a follower and, uh, and it's okay to be embraced who, who you were made to be. And not every, if everybody was like me, it wouldn't make any sense. Right. And, um, and so, uh, and if everybody was like the, the follower, it wouldn't make sense. There is a beautiful design in the um, celebration of, of latitude that we have in leadership. And um, so I, I always just tell people, embrace that, who you are, um, but be confident in your voice. And I think I've met so many introverts and people that, that didn't think they were leaders who now get on stages in front right. of thousands of people, and they're like, I can't believe I almost missed this. Well, you're on a podcast um, this morning with one of them. So I... I uh... <laughs> I completely relate with that statement. And, and, and Dale, for those of us who um, we realized today that you may have been able to move from Orange County and a successful business and a marriage that was falling apart to Bend, Oregon and begin something new. And man, that's you. That's your skill set. But I don't have it. For those of us right now sitting back, uh, driving to work, wherever we may be, who think we can't do what maybe you've done or what others in the community have done, we're not we're not that worthy that the life we live today is just the one we finally surrender to, that this is the best we can do. What's your advice back to us? The report card of respect doesn't come from the job you have or the money you make. It comes from the family and life that you build. And so don't be so concerned with, oh my gosh, I couldn't go and buy this house or chase that dream or, or whatever it might be, or make that kind of money or buy that car or, or have that career. For me, you know, it's not that great. I'm telling you is that, making lots of money is not that great. Um, now, meaning that it's, it's an easy thing to say when you get there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes making money to realize that you don't need it. And there's that do- documentary, Happy, that says that, hey, after, after $75,000, there is no increase in happiness on research uh, after that money. Once your, your basic needs are met, money doesn't increase happiness. Sure, if you make 20 grand a year and you're struggling to get by, yeah, money can actually make you happier. But after $75,000, it doesn't make any difference. And so for me, I go, once you get there, just focus on your health. Focus on getting out of debt. Focus on building those relationships that matter because those things are the things that when you're sitting on your deathbed, you're not going to go, man, I am so wish that I started that business and made an extra million dollars. That's not what you're going to say. You're going to say, gosh, I wish I spent more time with my wife. Oh, man, I wish I spent – I wish we had more children. Man, I wish we – I wish we took another vacation or spent more time. Like those are the things you're going to say. Um, 
And, and, and that's proven. There's statistics and, and studies and research projects that have shown people on their deathbed, they don't talk about work or money ever. Mm-hmm. They talk about time. And, and so for me, I go, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, just rem- remind yourself of what's normal. Remind yourself that, that those little, that the time is what matters. The relationships is what matters. And, um, and, and money is important too. I mean, enjoy that and grow that, but, but invest where you're going to get the best return. And Dale, we're about to shift gears into what we call the Live Inspired 7. But before we do, you are a guy who loves to teach and train and coach and write and then live what real success looks like. So define for me and our friends listening right now, what do you think success looks like? You know, I think that it, in my opinion, there's, there's kind of like, I, I call it four pillars of success. And um, so I would put it is that it's your family, and I would ask you to rate it from a zero to ten, right? Where are you at with family? And then I would say your friendships, and that would be, um, you know, zero to ten. Are your relationships strong? Are are they are they are they you know are they ten feet wide and one inch deep, or mm-hmm. are they two feet wide and 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 seven feet deep, right? Uh, your finances, are they in order? Are you in debt making bad decisions and buying things you can't afford? Um, you know, money is a really important stewardship in your life. Um, not how much you make, but how well you handle what you have. Um, and then fitness, uh, which would be also like your spiritual fitness, your body. Are you unhealthy? Like, have you just denied your body as, as, as an important part of your life? Um, which is very easy to do in the internet world. Mm-hmm. Now, all four of those pillars, family, friendships, finance, and fitness, they all sit on top of the foundation of reputation. And um, meaning that if you have a bad name uh, because people don't trust you, and I've been there, guys. I have hurt so many people. And I have been there where I, there's, there are still a few people out there that hate me. And, um, and I've apologized, and I've humbled myself before them. Um, but I'll tell you what, a bad name will hurt you for a long time. And, um, so for me, it was, was trying to work on having a good name. And, um, you know, I'm pretty sure that, that, uh, Warren Buffett said it, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and Mm -hmm. five minutes to lose it. When you realize that you'll do things differently. And, um, so faith or, uh, family, friendships, finances, fitness, and on, all on top of the foundation of reputation, I think, is what really, for me, is on a scale of 1 to 10 on all those things, is what really marks a man or a woman in my eyes as being successful or not. Well, man, you are, and we're going to shift gears on you and ask you seven questions that we ask every one of our guests that have ever been on, on the Live Inspired podcast, beginning with what's the best book you've ever read? Best book I ever read? Um, so... You know, as the Christian in me, you want to default to the Bible, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say there's a book that I love um, that just really changed my life. It's called John Adams. It's about the second president of the United States. Um, It's by David McCullough. It's about 380 pages long. And again, I don't like reading almost as much as I don't like writing, um, and which is so weird because I do them both for a living. Um, And but I know I need them, right? I need them. But that book is so good. Um, there's so many stories and, and incredible leadership. I mean, what John Adams did um, is he, he literally 
invented the most successful organization on the planet uh, in that day was the United States of America. And there's so many cool things. One quick thing I'll say about that is I never knew this, but but John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were like best of friends for many years. And um, it was John Adams who invited him to write the Declaration of Independence at 33 years old, actually. And um, uh, they both died uh, of old age on hours the same apart. day, right. on the same day, hours apart, on 4th of July, right. 20, I think it's, uh, what, what was it, 25 years later, the same day, I was just like, whoa, what a gift, like that, just the, for them both to die on the same day, on 4th of July, the, the Declaration of Independence, like the signing of that, that was wild to me. So it was just a, a really great book about some incredible men and women. Um, Abigail Adams, John's wife, just game changer for, for the world. Um, and so just love that book. Dale, you find out tomorrow that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you, man, with millions of dollars. What would you do with that money? You know, for me, I, I, um, in terms of stewardship, you know, sometimes we don't have the right answer for that question right away. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I've, I've actually thought about this recently because we have a little extra money that we're trying to figure out what to do with it, right? Um, you know, there's charities that we love and people that really do cause well. And um, so, so there would be some money that went there. But there would also probably be money, and uh, for me, this is just my personal side, is that real estate seems to be um, the smartest decision uh, for most wealthy men and women of, of times past. And what it does is it buys you time um, because sometimes someone hands you money or you get an inheritance or you get an opportunity to have a gold rush and you make some money and we spend it quickly because we think we need to. And so for me, I love the idea of having time, but not losing the money at the same time. And so um, I would sit on it and just as the, as the opportunities roll in through life, mm-hmm. being able to, to say yes is a really beautiful gift um, uh, to do. And so, and homes are also a huge blessing for people as what I'm learning. And the way you can really care for people, whether it's vacations or whether it's, it's giving people, you know, cheap rent, young couples, and it's, or giving them to your children. I mean, it's a really, homes are like the most important thing we deal with as humans, right? Right. To have a home. And so, um, so I, I just found a lot of, um, confidence. I don't even own another piece of real estate besides their home at this point, but it's one of those things that I, I really hope to, uh, to get into as I get older. Well, man, I have a feeling it will come your way. And speaking of homes, question number three uh, revolves around a home. So here it is. Dale, if your house, your home catches fire and all living people, your babies, your wife, friends, family, and all living things, your animals, your donkey, your cats, your dogs, everything is out. And you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing that matters most to you. What would you go back in and grab? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's, it's probably cliche, but I'm super nostalgic. Um, meaning that, that I have like, there's throughout the day, sometimes I'll actually, I'll have like this weird nostalgic feeling and it'll be about a a scene in a movie that I watched as a child or a smell that I, I had, you know, when you like open up, um, a new book, you know, it reminds me of like, uh, the book fair in elementary school, you know? And, and so for me, I, I would run and grab 
photos. And, mm-hmm. and I think everybody kind of says that, but for me, it's, it's different because I I've actually been, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lumberjack manly man kind of guy. Um, and, uh, literally we didn't talk about this yet, but I cut my leg with a chainsaw mm-hmm. just like two weeks ago. <laughs> and, um, and so for me to run with tears in my eyes back to my house to grab photos of my, of my childhood and of my mom and my mm-hmm. dad and my brother would be, would be something that I, I could see myself doing because I, I really value memory. And, um, we live in such a wonderful time that we can actually capture those things and have them because I thought about it. I'm like, man, the 1700s, like someone died and you never had, you could never see their face again. Hmm. Um, and, and so, so just what a gift photography is to this generation um, to be able to have so many of them. And so for me, the memories, um, uh, the memories would be just uh, the, the main thing that I'd run back for. Dale, if you could sit on a bench overlooking a, Beautiful ocean. I know you're back in front of Southern California again, but you're on a bench (laughs) overlooking a gorgeous ocean, beautiful day, and you have an opportunity to have a conversation with anyone, living or dead. Who would you want to have sitting right next to you? Wow. Okay. So um, that's a great question. So it'd be, it'd be, it'd be probably, um, it'd be probably John Adams, as I spoke about before. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, it might be, um, William Wilberforce. Mm -hmm. Um, for those who may not know Wilbur, tell the folks about Wilbur. Okay. So, I mean, these guys are just like the most insane writing writers, Christian leaders of, of times past. I mean, these people change the world with their thoughts, um, and, and leadership. And, and for me, just having conversation with I'm a, I, I read biographies. So uh, another one is Abraham Lincoln. Um, and uh, so I, I love biographies because I think it teaches people so much more um, than, than a, uh, you know, a, a book about a topic. And um, so I, I've read all these people's biographies. C.S. Lewis is another one. Um, people that have been able to pay a price for leadership were like I- extreme pain. I mean, the word passion defined in the dictionary mm-hmm. is, is actually talks about, literally talks about Christ. If you look at the Webster dictionary, this is what it talks about. It talks about Christ. It says the willingness to, um, the willingness to suffer for something you love. And mm. that's the definition of passion is the willingness to suffer for something you love. It's not what makes you happy. Oh, I'm really passionate about this topic. No, it's, it's something you're willing to suffer for because you love it so much. And there's a few men that I would just love to sit back because they suffered for great work to be done. And um, wh- whether it's with their families and their marriages or their, their, just their personal internal thoughts and pains, um, yeah, it would be, it'd be one of those men that, that has just been passionate about what they did on the earth. Man, powerful. And what's the best advice you've ever received? You know, it's from my grandmother, and it was on a little placard that was sitting above her keys and it's now sitting on our mantle at our house. My grandma passed away probably about six or seven years ago. And, um, she, she, uh, she was, a um, uh, her and her husband, my grandfather, um, they had a sailboat. They used to go sailing in Southern California, all the way to Catalina Island all mm-hmm. the time. And there's this little, uh, placard that sit above their, 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 uh, key hook and, um, it had a sailboat on it. It says never get too busy making a living that you forget to make a life. Hmm. And I am prone because I love work. Um, I love change. 
and um, left unchecked, I'm the guy that can easily work 80 hours a week. Um, and, you know, we teach on the topics that we struggle with. Okay, right. I, I wrote a book called People Over Profit because I struggled valuing people over profit. It makes me uniquely qualified to talk about it. And so that quote of never get too busy making a living that you forget to make a life is one of those things that I need to be reminded of. And that's why it sits on my mantle today that I see every single mm. day. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? 20-year-old self. Uh, 20-year-old self was confident, cocky, <laughs> arrogant, um, needing approval um, so badly. Um, and this, uh, to be honest, guys, I mean, this is stuff that I still struggle with at some degree. And for me is, um, you know, I, I recite the idea of, of, of um, slow, to spe- or slow to speak and quick to listen. Mm-hmm. Slow to speak, quick to listen. I, I, about a month ago, got a chance to hear a modeled conversation. Uh, like a leader sat and talked to a friend of mine about a very intimate topic that I knew that this leader was really passionate about. And he sat and listened with such beauty that I was like, I was, it was profound for me. Mm. And to see someone listen so well, and I thought, oh my gosh, I don't do that. Like, I am totally a talker, and I, I you know, I, I, I wait for people to stop talking so I can start talking. <laughs> you right. Know? And, and I was just convicted, and it's something that I've, I've made some progress for sure over the years. Um, but the way that this man did it is that he was just, there were five seconds of silence after after he talked. And I thought, wow, like what power mm. and, and what self-control and maturity comes with a man that can do that. And so for me, I would just say, shut up, stop talking and listen. And, and, and that's the fastest way to respect. That's the fastest way to approval. Mm. And it makes no sense, but you know, everything we do is counterintuitive, right? Up is down, down is up. Mm-hmm. Last is first, first is last. Strong is weak. Weak is strong. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and, and so when we learn that, that maturity and growth is totally backwards, uh, that everything starts to make sense. Mm. <laughs> and that, that's where I would, I would probably leave them. Well, man, I love it. And we're going to leave it with this next and final question. It's been said, Dale, that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you want your one sentence to read? <sighs> you know, I'll, It'll be one of my favorite quotes, and it's from that same guy that I watched um, have that conversation. It says, if you think wrong, you'll never live strong. And for me, I had, and still probably have, a library of incorrect thinking. Mm. And when you fix your thinking, you fix everything your behaviors, your actions, you fix everything. Um, but it's amazing what a lie can do to a man mm. or a woman. If you believe something that's not true, it can change your life. And for me, I'm in the business of correcting my thinking and finding out what's true 
unchangeable, um, immovable truths. And um, for me, that comes from my faith. And, and I get a chance to look back and look at what God says is right and wrong and true and a lie. And um, the more I go there, the, the more uh, everything seems to work. And uh, so, yeah, just reminding people of what is true. And if you think wrong, you'll never live strong. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up our conversation by sharing some of my highlighted quotes you shared. And Dale, I always take notes while the guest is speaking so I can really hear what he or she is saying. But I, I can't remember a time where I've written down more. So here we go. I didn't realize that who I came home to was even more important than what I came home to. Mm. You can tell a lot about a person by where they spend their time and how they spend their money. Common versus normal. And you spend quite a bit of time unpacking that, but this great gap between what is common and what we are called to, what is normal. The middle is costless leadership. There is no pain. There is no growth. There is no risk. There ultimately is no gain. Great leaders are okay paying a price on positions that matter. Bringing people back to the truth can never be a bad thing. I'd rather have them turn to me, this might be my favorite, than those darn Kardashians. <laughs> if we're faithful over the little, we can be faithful over much. It's okay to be a follower. It's okay to be a follower, and yes, it is. Embarrassment is an incredible teacher. Then, we just heard these from you, never get so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. Passion. Right, my friends, if you're writing right now, you make sure you write this one down or type it down. Passion, the willingness to suffer for something that you love. Shut up. Stop talking, O'Leary. Start listening. Fastest way to connect and show respect is to just simply listen. If you think wrong, you're going to live wrong. Fix your thinking and you can fix anything. And then finally, love the idea of having the opportunity each day to say loudly, yes. Dale Partridge, we are so grateful that you said yes to being with us today on the Live Inspired Podcast. And we have full confidence that your mother, my friend, looks down and celebrates the little boy, now man, that she helped raise. Mm. Thank you, brother. That was that was that was meaningful. Yeah, I was just <laughs> I'm humbled over here just thinking about those quotes and and uh, that you captured all those things. So thank you so much, John. Well, man, it's worthy. Your work is worthy. We're going to have links to your social sites, your website, your blogs, your worthy books on our website. But uh, for those who want to get there right now, Dale, what, what, what's the best site they can go check it out? Yeah, just startupcamp.com. You can go to, uh, you can also find um, me again, just at Dale Partridge on any social media stuff. If you just Google Dale Partridge on Facebook, you'll find me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would love to have you following along and I try to respond back to right. comments every single day. And, um, so yeah, so thanks so much for that, John. Well, my friends for this time and until next time, this is live inspired with John O'Leary. This is your day live inspired. Well, my friends, thank you for joining me today on the live inspired podcast. And this guest of course was none other than our friend, our brother, Dale Partridge. I told you you were going to love it. I told you you were going to need a pen and a paper. You're going to need a, a laptop with a whole lot of room to take notes on some of the ideas, some of the techniques, some of the quotes that he shared so that you and I can live inspired. I'm going to walk through a few of my favorites right now. Again, I know you heard these just moments ago, but uh, 
sometimes to be reminded of what we heard will allow the information to be more even stickier in our consciousness, in our actions, in our words, and our results, and ultimately in our lives. Here are a few of my favorite takeaways from today. I'm always looking for one, but I got a lot more than one today. Dale shared these things. Common versus normal. Remember that? Common versus normal. He didn't realize that who we came home to was even more important than what he came home to. You can tell a lot about a person, he said, by where they spend their time and their money. The middle. The middle is costless leadership. There is no pain. There is no growth. There is no risk. There ultimately is no gain. And if we're all honest about it today, that is where so many of us live, that middle leadership, not trying to rock the boat. He talked about great leaders are okay paying a price on position and positions that matter. He said he'd rather have them turn to him than to the Kardashians. Dale reminded us that if we're faithful over a little, we can be faithful over much and that it's okay to be a follower. We don't all need to be leaders. We don't all need the title CEO. We don't all need the most followers on our social media arm. It's okay to be a follower. We just want to make sure we're following the right people. We hope, by the way, the Live Inspired podcast gives you voices of men and women that you can follow and be proud to follow. Finally, Dale shared that embarrassment is an incredible teacher that we learn a lot when we pick ourselves back up, when we scrape off our bloody knees, and we, when we take the next step, the better step forward in life. Dale talked about never being too busy to make a living, that you forget to make a life. That passion, the willingness to suffer for something you love. He challenged us to shut up, stop talking, st- start listening. The fastest way to connect and to show respect is to listen. If you think wrong, you'll never live strong. You fix your thinking and you fix everything else. And he loves the idea and the opportunity of saying yes each day. Yes. If you've been following us at all in the Live Inspired movement, you know that those words, Y-E-S, yes, that's a big part of what we are about here, being able to open and available to say yes to the miracle of the moment, the gift of this day. Now, my friends, if you've enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you, please take a few moments, rate the show, review the podcast, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your coworkers, tell ladies and gentlemen you bump into in the streets about Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Tell them about a way to lead, to serve, to impact, to inspire that's a little bit different than the ones they may be currently checking out in their local paper or on the 10 o'clock news. Yes, there are reasons for apprehension. There are some reasons for concern. But if we're open to it, our eyes will remind us and our heart will inform us that the best days are upon us and they remain in front of us as well. But you got to be intentional. You got to be focused on what is possible and you got to own the great possibility of your life. Dale Parchers reminded us of that fact today, and my friends, I hope you heard it loud and clear. So for this time, and until the next time, this is John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live Inspired.